Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Team Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with a look at the Houston Astros farm system. Obviously, the Astros have been very, very, very productive developing homegrown talent. They had the most homegrown roster of any World Series champion since 2000, and they've got more talent on the way. To break it all down, I am joined by Jeff Ponce. Jeff took over the Astros system for us this year. How do you like doing it for the first time? Yeah, it was a perfect time to sort of take over the Astros system as this was the first draft in many years that they've had a full <laughs> slot of draft picks and bonus pool to play with. So um, it made my job a little bit easier. I took it over, you know, in season, certainly the the injection of talent um, from this draft class. They drafted pretty well. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, certainly made it a little bit more exciting, but uh, this is a team I'm familiar with. I've covered it other places previously. Um, and you know, frankly, I feel like it's always a little bit underrated. They may not necessarily have, you know, the, the sexy names, but, um, they do tend to get the most out of their players that are in the system. Yeah. And to that end, I talked about this in the intro, the Astros last year, first of all, put together really one of the more dominant postseason runs in recent memory on the way to winning the world series, won 106 games last year. Went 11 and 2 in the postseason. Um, this was really a dominant team. And, and as I mentioned, they did it with 14 players on their 26 man World Series roster were homegrown. And that doesn't include Jordan Alvarez, who officially signed with the Dodgers but came up exclusively in the Astros system. I went back and did the research. Since 2000, no World Series champion has been as homegrown as the Astros on a percentage basis. I still have to go back and look pre 2000, but this century, the Astros were the most homegrown World Series roster. And it was interesting because some of those guys were, you know, top draft picks that you would expect to be the type of players that would star for a World Series team. You look at an Alex Bregman, you look at a Kyle Tucker, you look at a Lance McCullers, all very, very highly touted draft picks. But there were a lot of guys who were after day one, mid-major college guys. You look at Jeremy Pena being kind of the prime example of that. And I've written about this extensively. So many guys they found on the international market for well under $100,000. Jose Altuve is kind of the patron saint of that, but all the pitchers, Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy, Christian Javier, Framber Valdez, four guys who are all signed for $100,000 or less, or I should say all received bonuses of $100,000 or less. The Astros have really done it from all avenues. And as you mentioned, some of them were top prospects, but a lot of them weren't. And yet you look up and they're at the very minimum contributors and in some cases standouts on a World Series championship team. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you even look down the spectrum there with a, a guy like Chaz McCormick, someone like, you know, David Hensley on the on the draft side. These are guys that we didn't necessarily anticipate were going to be, you know, huge standouts or, you know, big contributors, a little bit older prospects, but they develop skills really well. They they target players that have good plate skills, developing power, and the ability to play multiple defensive positions. Those guys fit into roles on teams like this and are very valuable. Yeah, and the thing that really jumps out to me as well is, you know, we've talked a lot about the Astros. Look, they had their sign-stealing scandal. They were stripped of their first and second round picks two years in a row because of it. And this farm system absolutely took a hit from that. But you look at it, there are still players in the system who you could project to say, hey, they have a chance to come up and make an impact. And, And that's really been one of the hallmarks of the Astros here recently. This is a team that has been the preeminent power, not just in the American League, but you can argue Major League Baseball. Over the last six seasons, they've made four World Series and won two of them. Obviously, one of them, they they did so um, under questionable circumstances. But nonetheless, they've been consistently good, and they've maintained that through losing really good players. I mean, in consecutive years, they lost to Garrett Cole, George Springer, and Carlos Correa in free agency. And didn't miss a beat. And in most cases, it was homegrown guys to replace them. Pena for Correa, obviously. But the pitchers as well. I talked about those international signees who were low bonus guys. Justin Verlander has Tommy John surgery, misses most of two years. Garrett Cole leaves in free agency. Zach Granke ages out, leaves in free agency. And they still have one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. And it's because of these homegrown arms. So I think that's what really stood out is they're replacing stars with homegrown talent seamlessly. And, you know, the Dodgers have done that, but a lot of the Dodgers guys were top, top prospects. The Astros have done it with guys who who mostly were not these, these big, sexy prospects, so to speak, in terms of first rounders or big international bonus guys. They're doing it with guys who were day two or three draft picks and, and undervalued international signees. Yeah, and I think that speaks volumes about, you know, what's gone on over the last, we'll say, you know, two regimes within the Astros front office. You know, there's obviously been some changes there, but they've done a great job of sort of targeting particular skill sets and then knowing how to develop those. And I always say this, that, you know, it's almost like a great French chef. You're not going to ask him, you know, to make you a Japanese meal. You want that French chef to have the ingredients that he's comfortable cooking with. And he's going to make you a fabulous, you know, five-star sort of, you know, Michelin rated meal. And that's exactly what you sort of get with this Astros player development. It's the stuff that they do with their coordinators, et cetera, on the farm to get these guys ready. Sometimes it's a little bit unusual, uh, but in the end, we've seen the results speak for themselves. Yeah, and again, there's more coming. We do have to address there has been some instability in this front office. Despite winning the World Series, the Astros fired general manager James Click. They brought in Dana Brown, former scouting director of the Atlanta Braves, to replace him. What effect, if any, do you think that'll have? Again, this is an organization that in some ways is used to instability after Jeff Lunau and A.J. Hinch were fired for their roles in the science-stealing scandal. Again, didn't miss a beat, but some of that was they brought in two guys in James Click and Dusty Baker who were able to, to stabilize things. They did so in different ways, but both very well respected in the game. Now Click was fired. They bring in a new GM. How do you expect things to change, if at all, with the Astros and their player development system and the group of talent they have right now? You know, you have to hope that they don't mess with the player development stuff too much. Um, I think, you know, it wouldn't be a stretch to say that there are some areas, especially over the last couple of years in the draft, where not so much in 2022, but certainly in 2021, where there could be some improvements in terms of how they just do traditional scouting. And I think that Brown 
sort of brings that traditional scouting sort of philosophy over. He's less data centric than Click and Lunauer. Um, and from speaking with folks that, you know, work within the front office, those are the sort of things and the feedback that I'm getting is that, you know, Brown is certainly not adverse to, to data driven models, et cetera. Um, but I do think that it's, it's going to put the onus a little bit more on traditional scouting than it had been previously. We'll see how that all plays. I think that, you know, maybe if there is one sort of question, it's just the tension between someone who's an old school guy like Dusty Baker and the front office that sort of existed. And sometimes that tension can be good. We'll see if that's if they're a little bit more in lockstep or not with with, with Brown. Certainly the results and, and what the Braves have done in the draft recently and what they've done with their young players, you know, also has been really, really successful. So we can't really knock Brown's record. We got to see how it all works out. But uh, I do think that there is more significant change with this movement than there was from Lou now to click, at least in terms of process, you know, not, not the behind the scenes stuff and, you know, some of the shady dealings, et cetera. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Jeff. So, you know, as we've talked about the Astros are in a really, really good place in terms of the big league team, the talent on the field. Again, they bring back most of the players who are the key guys on their world series championship team last year. They added Jose Abreu in free agency, who's still productive at the ripe young age of 36 take us through this farm system and, and the talent in it. How do you kind of, before we dive into individual players, how do you assess the overall state of it and the overall quality of it right now? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's sort of classic Astros where there's certainly some sleepers sort of outside of, we'll say the top five or six in this system. The top four is pretty good. Maybe even top five. Um, David Hensley's still on our list at, at number five. We're probably one of the, the outfits that ranks him highest. Um, internally, they love Hensley. He fits a lot of different roles, a bit of a late bloomer, good plate skills. There's projectable power still, you know, whether he totally gets to that, he hits a lot of ground balls. I don't know. Um, but we saw that he played, you know, in a, a fairly significant role on that playoff roster and in the World Series. But we yeah, look at he the got top starts in the World Series. I mean, he got yeah, starts exactly. in the World Series, which is more than a lot of other prospects who are more highly ranked ever have to say in their careers. <laughs> Yeah, had hits, had big at bats and big moments. Um, you know, I think he's he's a little bit of an underrated player overall within the system. Now, you look at the top four here, really, it's it's you know pretty pretty strong. Um, when you consider Hunter Brown is ready to contribute now, could potentially walk into a starting role. We've been hearing more and more of that feedback, you know, recently. Yandra Diaz, another guy that came up and debuted. Uh, at the end of last season, was not part of the playoff roster, but you know someone that can spell Martin Maldonado, filling at first base when you know maybe Jose Abreu needs a day off here and there. Um, he brings a great contact power combination. Not the biggest approach, you know, in terms of getting on base, etc. But he doesn't strike out very much. He hits the ball hard, and you know he has the he has positional versatility. And then you look at somebody like Drew Gilbert. Gilbert, you know, got hurt. We didn't get to really see the full picture of him. Uh, in his pro debut post-draft. But anybody that follows college baseball has watched Drew Gilbert. You know, he was the heart and soul of that uh, Tennessee team last year that, you know, sort of steamrolled throughout the regular season. And he's a passionate player. He's a guy that plays with, you know, uh, his hair on fire sort of at all times. And he's a five-tool guy. I mean, he's, he's definitely a player that has, you know, He's got a strong arm. He's strong defensively, can stick in center field. He's a good runner, and there's contact and power. 
I know there were some comments from 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 Brown that he could potentially help them this year. I don't know if that's wishful thinking or not, but he should be a player that moves pr- pretty fast. And then you look at someone like Jacob Melton, um, you know, over his time at, at Oregon State, really developed into a pretty strong player. I think he's an underrated athlete. And, you know, there's approach and some power there. And he's another guy that could certainly contribute in, you know, the next couple of seasons. I think that the system right now is a little top heavy, but once again, I don't want to underrate the Astros ability to get the most out of this sort of 11 to 30 or even like seven to 30, because there's still some good players, guys with big tools and some interesting names. Yeah. And as we've talked about extensively, inevitably, at least a couple of those guys will surprise and show up one day and play at least a complimentary role on a contending roster, if not a starring one, Jeff, the top of the system is kind of what's most important just because again, this is a team that doesn't need a whole lot of reinforcements. They're really, really, really good as is. And it's about just getting even one or two guys to come up and help over the course of the year will make a big difference. And the first guy who is kind of in line for that is Hunter Brown. We saw him come up and do it last year. He's always had just huge, huge, huge stuff. It's really dating back to his days at Wayne state, but was never really able to harness it. There were a lot of times you just saw the control and the command. And in some cases it was frustrating because you saw the stuff, you saw the physicality and he just could not consistently throw strikes for an extended period of time. That really, really, really improved last year at AAA Sugarland uh, really took a big step forward. And all of a sudden you had three really good pitches with command to go with it, came up to the majors, made a couple of relief appearances, got a few starts, but 20 and a third innings, really was, was pretty dominant, 22 strikeouts, only seven walks, 0. 0.89 ERA. Again, it's a small sample, but it was a really, really good debut, and he's in line to step into the Astros' starting rotation now here as a rookie. Take us through how sustainable you think the control and command improvements Hunter Brown has made are, and if he'll stick as a starter, because that has been a question. I know a lot of people out there think he will ultimately end up in relief, but he has been trending in the right direction fairly consistently. Yeah, and he's a guy that's been able to handle, you know, a workload too, which I always think is sort of an underrated element when we're projecting out starting pitching. The fastball, a ton of velocity. You know, it's not one of these sort of super hoppy fastballs. It's different from Justin Verlander. I know we always get the Justin Verlander comps because he certainly, you know, as a kid from Detroit that grew up watching Verlander when he was a younger pitcher, modeled his mechanics after him. Sort of the the the, the pitch mix is very similar. You know, four seam, slider, curve, he will show a change up as well. But I think the thing that I believe in most when it comes to Hunter Brown is he started to get the ball in the zone a lot more last year. And beyond that, he has a slider that works against right handers and right on right matchups. And he sort of uses that curveball in lieu of a changeup. And it might be his best pitch just from a pure stuff perspective. Um, There's not many curveballs that get thrown this hard that have the sort of depth that Hunter Brown has. I mean, he, he gets, you know, significant drop on that, on that curveball. Excellent slider as well. More of a cutter type of slider. Um, but you know, it works and you know, it's not one of the, it, none of these pitches have like insane whiff rates, but he also did it navigated the PCL just as well as, as just about anybody this side of branded fat. Um, so, you know, I, for me, I think he's a guy that will slot into this rotation, whether they sort of, keep the leash a little bit shorter between like four and five inches, uh, four and five innings. That might be the case early on and maybe they take the reins off. But once again, this is a guy, you know, who has handled a decent amount of innings over the years. 
Yeah, I threw 106 innings last year, 100.1 innings the year before that. And you go back and look at what he did last year at Sugarland. Um, pretty consistently got through five. I mean, had some had some shorter outings that were scheduled just because, especially as he was uh, approaching his call up to the big leagues. But, uh, you know, again, there's a bad start in there as well. But um, pretty consistently was able to give you five, had a seven inning start, a couple six inning starts in there. And and that's the thing, right? The Astros don't need him to be a, a mid to front of the rotation kind of workhorse ace. They can have him just go five innings every fifth day as their number five starter. And that's all they need from him. And, and I think he's certainly capable of doing that. Again, great stuff, physical, shown the ability to log innings and and has a real ability to, to get the ball in the zone more so recently. And if he's able to maintain that, yeah, he's, he's absolutely a guy that, that can be an, an impact type of starter, especially when you compare him to some of the other number five starters other teams are rolling out there. He has a chance to be a, a really good player for them. And I think even if he does wind up in the bullpen, he can still be an absolutely explosive dynamic weapon for them, as as he showed he could be last year. Jeff Hunter Brown was the clear-cut number one prospect in the system. Yiner Diaz, who you talked about a little bit, Drew Gilbert, Jacob Melton, all guys who who have promise, very different points in their careers. David Hensley we talked about as, as a guy who was literally in the starting lineup in the World Series last year for a couple games. Take us through this next group, two to five. How close was it? Diaz is in our top 100. Gilbert, it's a little early to put him on there, but you could see him getting there. How did you kind of sort this group out and, and ultimately line it up the way you did? Yeah, I think, you know, if you if you sort of look at it, um, you know, with with Diaz, he's major league ready. He had a great season last year and, um, you know, he's continued to be really valuable for the team. Um, and I think he's one of these guys that he surpassed Corey Lee in terms of like the next guy that was going to be up. Um, Lee is still a, a, a superior defender, but I think when you look at sort of the hit tool, the power, the impact that's there, and the fact that they already have a defensive standout in Martin Maldonado, who's slimmed down this year and looks, you know, healthier than he's been in a couple of years, um, they really need him to sort of fill that offensive role and that bat off the bench. So for me, I think it was just the proximity, you know, Gilbert got hurt. Melton, you know, um, certainly has some flaws in terms of, of you know, the, uh, the the swing and miss that's there and some of those sort of things. And then Hensley, I think it's just in terms of limited upside. Um, but when looking at the rest of the options in this system, I think these are sort of the clear cut five best players. You have some proximity, but you also have some upside with Gilbert and Melton. Jacob Melton last year, especially was one of the biggest risers out here on the West Coast. Um, you see tools and and. You know, things are a little funky at times, but there's real ability there. And, and he's someone a lot of people out here were very excited about. And again, you know, a good four or five top prospects is, is all the Astros really need right now. They don't need a whole wave of guys. So, all right, Jeff, there are some names in the back half of this top 10, as well as beyond the top 10 that, you know, are interesting and, and are worth updating, uh, as well as a couple guys who... Might not be very well known, the public eye yet, but as we've talked about extensively, give it a few years and given the Astros track record, they probably will be in the big leagues and making an impact at some point. Uh, we're going to talk through all those guys here. Uh, we're going to take a quick break first. Welcome back to the Baseball America Prospects Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing breaking down the Houston Astros system with Jeff Ponce. All right, Jeff, we talked about the guys in the top half of this top 10 before the break. Hunter Brown, one of the Filthiest arsenals of any pitcher in the minor leagues made his debut last year, going to get a chance to start in the rotation this year. 
Yanner Diaz, David Hensley, guys who got to the majors last year, Drew Gilbert and Jacob Melton, two top draft picks who were very well regarded. There are some guys here after this top 10 that do have some name recognition, but have struggled a little bit. And Pedro Leon and Corey Lee are kind of at the forefront of that right now. There's someone else we'll get to a little bit later. Pedro Leon was a big time signing out of Cuba, received a substantial seven figure bonus. But as soon as he arrived stateside, it was pretty clear that it was an overpay, kind of a, a fine, okay-ish player who you could see being a utility guy, but not a whole lot more than that. Then you had Corey Lee, who was a surprise first round pick out of California and showed really, really good defensive skills early along with the power, got to AAA last year and, and really, really struggled to make contact against upper level arms, only hit 238 in the PCL, which is not what you want to see, came up to the major leagues, guys swing and missing in his major league debut, you don't want to hold that against him, but hit the ball hard when he made contact, but didn't really make contact nearly often enough. What's the outlook for these two right now? Because again, when you see guys struggle to hit for average in the Pacific Coast League, and, and Sugarland is more of a pitcher-friendly park than a lot of the other parks in the league, but still, it's not really what you want to see. So, what's the status of these two right now? Yeah, I think you know when you look at Pedro Leon, um, I think everybody sort of got caught up in the plus-plus running ability. You know, the fact that. Um, there is some power and there's not many guys that have this power speed combination. So I'll say, you know, as somebody that works in this world a little bit too, there was a big fantasy baseball push sort of behind <laughs> the own. And I think if you talk to scouts, you talk to folks that, you know, are around, um, you know, the organization that, that, you know, opposing scouts that scout the Astros, the issues really are like outside. He's got tons of on-base ability. The contact is pretty poor. And I don't know how much power he's going to get to in games against major league guys. They tried to move him to shortstop. Um, he hadn't played shortstop in years, even in terms of his professional career in Cuba. And it did not work as you could probably expect. He's in center field. He's got makeup speed out there. He does not have the best natural instincts as a center fielder. And that's sort of a concern as well. I think some folks have maybe put him out there coming into 2022 as a guy who potentially could take that start, that starting role in center. And in the end, you know, it belonged to Jasmine McCormick because he is a better player than Pedro Leones. So, you know, I, I do think there's still some upside there with the power and the speed. I don't know if he's one of these guys that sort of ends up getting traded by the Astros and starts at sort of a second division regular as second division regular and a second division type of club. Um, there are some skills there, but it's not enough that he really has like a cohesive identity other than he gets on base a lot. He can run a little bit. There is some power and he can play a few positions, but none of them really all that well. So, you know, he's a guy that's close to the majors. He doesn't have to be in the 40 man roster yet. He is a little bit older. We'll see what happens, but I think the upside and some of the excitement around Leon has definitely been tampered down over the last couple of years. Yeah, we see Cuban players sometimes take a few years to kind of acclimate. And that's where you just kind of have to watch and see the physical ability. And I remember seeing Luis Robert when he was struggling a little bit at high A and he'd had some injuries. You could see he was still adjusting his timing was off, but you saw the physical ability. You still saw a guy that had a chance to be a standout. You just don't see that with Pedro Leon. It's it's not that level of ability. It's very much, okay, maybe this is a utility type, just, just from a physical ability standpoint, which again, everyone needs good utility men. You have to have a good bench to survive over the course of 162-game season. It's just not 
what you want when you gave him the bonus you did and also what some of the hopes were coming out. And then Corey Lee as well. Again, there was uh, some thought at one point that he would be the Astros catcher of the future. Is he going to hit enough to be a true everyday starter? Is he going to have to be more of a backup because he can absolutely defend? And we've seen guys who, if you can, you know, if you catch and throw skills are up to par and you can get into power every now and then, you can start in the big leagues. And heck, the Astros have a guy in Martin Maldonado who really can't hit and really doesn't even have the power, but he's so good defensively. He's your sure. primary starter. What's the outlook for Lee? And, and why did he rank behind Leon given he does have the premium position? Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit more faith in there being some offensive upside with Leon if some things started to click, if contact improved a little bit. You know, there there is always some rust when these guys come over from fairly large layoffs when they, you know, um, you know, come over from Cuba. So, you know, it was sort of a pick them there. there. I feel like in terms of when you look at the numbers and what he did in the environments that he did them in offensively, there's some real questions around the bat that I don't think people had previously. And if you look at the larger sample, he's had a like his strong offensive contributions in the minor leagues were for a very small period of time versus the rest of 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 the the sort of data that we have on Corey Lee. He is a strong defender. There's absolutely a plus arm there. You know, maybe one of the best arms in the minor leagues for a catcher. Um, you know, we put an 80 on it for a reason. <laughs> it is an absolutely standout gun. I mean, in terms of his pop times, I mean, he's he's in line with sort of JT Real Muto, one of those guys that's sort of the top throwing catchers in the game. He doesn't have that offensive upside. So I think it's sort of a pick em. I mean, if you wanted to put him at six versus seven, fine. Um, I just think inherently there's a lot more risk with catchers. Even though the offensive bar to clear is pretty small, you still need to be taking sort of good at bats. And they have that guy in Martin Maldonado right now that you have to sort of question as to when Lee um, will be up and have sort of a substantial role, if any. All right, Jeff. One player who is not on this top 10, but is probably one of the most talked about players in the Astros system just because of his career arc and how it has not gone according to the way most people thought it would or hoped it would is Forrest Whitley. He's still in this top 30, but he's a lot closer to 30 than he is 10. What's the latest on him? Yeah. So I think it was just, he was a really tough evaluation for a bunch of reasons. This was talking to folks internally and externally, some coaches with the Astros, etc. I think the thing you have to worry about is the health. Um, you know, he has not had a full healthy offseason up until this year in three years. And there's been some off the field issues. There's been some sort of makeup issues. Not that he's a bad guy, but just in terms of focus and, you know, in terms of having sort of this stoic sort of personality or fiery personality, you kind of need one or the other. It's the two ends of the spectrum with pitchers. And, you know, I think some of some things would often spiral on him. Now, the big issue that I had when I was re- reviewing Whitley, talking to scouts, reviewing video, looking at data, all the things that we do in our reporting, is he can't get the same hop on his fastball that he could years ago just simply because of how his arm moves now, that he's been sort of limited. So what happened this offseason, and after we wrote these reports, some of these things started to trickle out, and I started to get this stuff from sources, but he switched to a sinker. Um, he's changed around his uh, his slider to be more of a, a sweeper. I know I dropped the video, actually, I think, in our editorial chat today, so people could see. Um, it's a different shape than he had in terms of his breaking ball before. 
Um, I actually had a couple of breaking balls before, and he has a cutter now that sort of sits in between. So it's more of a modern approach yep. where this was a guy that had five or six pitches. Anybody that saw him in AFL years ago, it was like a fire-breathing dragon. We don't have that guy any longer. The fastball is different now. So he's had to sort of alter who he is. He had his spring training debut today against the Marlins, looked pretty good over two innings, was getting the ball on the ground a lot. Um, was getting swings and misses on the on the, the cutter sliders. And, you know, you have to hope that maybe there might be a role here, especially with Lance McCullough sort of on the IL to open the season. Um, he's on the 40-man roster. He's just about out of options. He might get that extra option year here. But it's sort of make or break time with him. And it seems like he had a healthy offseason and more focus. So he could be a guy that, you know, had we sort of known these things would happen, might have ranked closer, you know, to the top 15 or so, as opposed to the back end of the 30. But, you know, we'll see if the changes hold, if he's able to stay healthy, able to stay focused. That's been a big problem with Forrest Whitley. The talent has never really been an issue, though. I have to say, hearing you say what you just said makes me more optimistic about Forrest Whitley than I've ever been. And here's why. I Go back and listen to the yeah. podcast. I said this <laughs> in 2018, watching him in the AFL, because I saw him when everyone was raving about him in the AFL. I saw him two years in a row, but I saw the bad Forrest Whitley. And it was very, very, very clear, even at that time, he needed to be essentially Dustin May, sinker cutter. The forcing fastball was sailing out of the zone. It was a ball out of the hand again and again and again. The big curveball everyone talked about, they loved. Yeah, the spin rate, the drop. It was also a ball out of the hand. Hitters were spitting on it. It was so, so, so clear. He needed to be a take your fastball and pump that thing downhill from that 6'8 body you have. And that cutter was his best secondary by far, and he can land in the zone. But the Astros were just so, so, so obsessive and strict about you're going to be a forcing up curveball down guy. They wouldn't adjust to what made him the best version of himself. The Astros have gotten away from that. And I, I have to tell you, Hearing you say that they are finally letting him be a sinker cutter pitcher to me means this is this has a chance to be the best force Whitley has been because that's what his arsenal should have been for four straight years. And the Astros wouldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Some of it was injuries. Some of it might have been him. But it was just so blatantly obvious that the four seam up curveball down was was not the right mix for him. And so now that they've actually changed that. That actually, I think, is is a big, big, big reason to be optimistic because it was it was so blatantly obvious just watching him in the fall league two years in a row, even that that's what he needed to be. It's good to hear that that's what they're finally doing. This actually might this actually strikes me as um, you know this could be finally the year Forrest Whitley breaks out if he can stay healthy. Now they've got his arsenal back to what it should be, or I shouldn't say back to what it should be. They have his arsenal to what it should be based off what you've talked about here. All right, Jeff. Any other guys in the system here in the top 30 that you think have a chance to really pop again? We've talked about the Astros and everything they do well with player development and helping guys really take big jumps and, and I don't want to say come out of nowhere, but certainly help them exceed expectations. Who are some guys outside the top 10 in this 11 to 30 group you think have a chance to really jump? Yeah, um, there's a guy here at number 12, um, Andrew Taylor, You know, sort of a smaller right-hander that they had drafted out of uh, Central Michigan last year in his second uh, supplemental round. He's got a ton of hop in his fastball. Secondaries need to improve a little bit, needs to add some velocity. It sort of sounds like the right recipe for the things that the Astros typically had or the types of pitchers that they've done really well by. Um, I think Taylor is a guy that could potentially pop. I was really impressed sort of coming out of um, this process by Kennedy Corona. He made a swing change. He's a center fielder, might be the best center field de defender in the system. 
good approach. There's bat to ball skills and really encouraging power um, in terms of exit velocities, but also in terms of production. Another guy that I like quite a bit is uh, Joey Laperfito, who had sort of a breakout year last year, hit 316, 408, 492, mostly in a, you know, across the A levels. Um, you know, former Duke guy, played a few different positions, can play some center, he can play some first base. He's a bigger guy, sort of an underrated athlete. Actually played some second base, I believe, as well. He's really interesting. And then Will Wagner, uh, the son of Billy Wagner, um, who was a senior signing they had gotten, I believe, in the 18th or 19th round back in 2021 and signed for really low dollars. And, you know, he impressed throughout the season. It's good plate skills, good contact, good approach sort of, you know, hoping that you can get a little bit more power there. If you can get to average or above average power, like he had sort of flashed in the AFL, but we know about AFL power numbers, you can't always fully trust them. If he can get to that full time, he's a guy that can fit into a few different positions and sort of be one of these late blooming Astros sort of position player prospects that we've become so familiar with. And there's a few others, Trey Dombrowski, if they can get a little power on him. Uh, and then another guy that got a fair amount of um, – good reviews was was Michael Knorr, um, who was a, a, a right-hander uh, that they had taken in the third round. Um, was a, I believe a Cal State Fullerton guy had transferred yep. and, through the portal to Coastal Carolina and had sort of a real big breakout. He's a bigger a bigger guy, you know, six foot five, 245 pounds. Um, but, you know, he saw a big velocity jump. He, and with that stuff jump, he started to um, strike out more batters. He rarely walked anybody, you know, throughout that college season. I think it was 86 strikeouts to 13 walks. That's a 30% K rate to a 4.5% walk rate. Really good numbers. And if you can add even a little bit more power onto his arsenal, he could be a really interesting one and one that I've gotten some pretty good reports early on in camp out of. Yeah, Michael Knorr, I actually wrote him up out of Carlsbad High School in 2018, uh, San Diego. And yeah, no, he was a promising young arm then. And a transfer to Coastal Carolina really seemed to unlock some things. And I think that's a good pick. And, you know, Will Wagner, you talked about, he was impressive in the fall league, especially as the stakes got higher, as uh, Scottsdale was making its way uh, toward an AFL championship. He came up big in a few big spots. Again, it's the fall league. The pitching's not great, but he showed you enough. Surprise, excuse me, not Scottsdale. Scottsdale used to be who the Astros were affiliated with. Surprise. Surprise, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he was certainly a guy that that stood out a little bit as, okay, yeah, this could be something. You know, we have to see. Really but, good at bats. Yeah, really good at bats. And actually saw the ability to, to, to impact the baseball. And I, I wrote a story with, uh, talked to him about that a little bit. He, good at bats, high contact, showed some impact. There there were things to like there. And then one other guy who, who I've always kind of liked, but he's really had, trouble staying healthy is Colin Barber, who finished just outside your top 10. Promising young outfielder, but missed a lot of 2021 with an injury, had a shoulder strain in 2022. Performed when he played, it was Asheville, and there was a home road split, so you have to be careful there. But has performed when he's played and looked good. He just has not stayed healthy. Is it is it as simple as health for Barber? Yeah, I think it's health for Barber, but there's also some concerns that I sort of have um, in terms of the swing. Uh, at times, it almost feels like the upper body and his hands sort of work uh, against each other. Um, really good approach. There are contact skills. I just rarely ever saw him drive the ball pull side in the air. And, you know, for the type of player he is, that is a bit of a concern. It's not like this guy's a 70 runner. Um, you want to be able to see some of that pull side juice, especially when you're talking about 
you know, a, a left-handed hitting um, outfielder, you know, you want that guy to be able to sort of you know, get the ball at least in the gaps. Um, certainly with that approach and some of the, the shift changes and things like that, it might help, you know, his balls in play to drop a few more times, a few more times than they had typically. But that's one of the reasons that kept him outside of the top 10 for me, especially when there's guys like Justin Durden or, you know, maybe the best fastball in the system, one of the best fastballs in the minors in Miguel Uyola. Yeah, absolutely. Again, there, there's a lot of guys in the system who you know, have a chance to take a jump forward. And again, the Astros can afford to be patient. They don't need to rush anyone. They've got a really good team in the big leagues. They've got some really good prospects in the upper levels. And if any of these lower level guys jump here in the next year or two, whether they can flip them in a trade or whether they do end up getting help from them, they'll provide value to a team that is already in a pretty good place overall. Jeff, any final thoughts here as we wrap up the Astros Farm System podcast? No, it's going to be exciting to sort of revisit this one next year and see who were the guys that popped into the top 10, because undoubtedly there's going to be a few. Absolutely. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Ponce, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.